Thanks, Ken, very much. <laughs> well, you might not know, but it is the first time we've um, sent the children out during uh, the reading and sermon at Grace Church. I, I'd have thought after that reading, you can probably see why uh, we've chosen to do so. Um, I know um, there might well be some adults here as well who will find uh, the content of this chapter especially difficult because of past experiences, and I'll try my best to be sensitive, uh, but please do come and speak to me afterwards if you'd like to. Now, perhaps you're wondering why on earth we're spending a Sunday thinking about a passage where there are such awful things, like Genesis 19. One of the disciplines we have as a church is to preach through uh, Bible books, um, bit by bit, uh, the whole books of the Bible, um, and that means we can't dodge bits. Uh, We might rather dodge. It forces us to come to terms with what God wants to say to us, even if uh, at first glance, be something we're that excited about. Uh, some would say that the story of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah uh, and everything that, that happens is just a, an Old Testament thing, that, that it, it's not relevant to us uh, today. Mm-hmm. Actually, everything that we learn from Genesis 19 is stated at least as strongly in the New Testament. And actually, the story itself is quoted by Jesus and the Apostles, actually about ten times. Uh, One of the the key questions, I think, that we're left with as we read things like this, as we're faced with uh, the reality and horror of sin in our world, uh, I think a question that we're posed with is, do we believe in justice? Do we believe that everything ought to be set right, that everything will be set right, that there'll be a day of reckoning for everything that has been done? Or do we think that this, here and now, is all there is? That people can basically do whatever they can get away with? I think it's a deep desire of the human heart, isn't it? To have justice that the, the wrongs will be put right, that wicked, uh, the, those who do wicked things won't just get away with it. I think we have an inbuilt concern for, for right and wrong. Uh, we hate injustice. When we see things on the news that just seem so unfair, you know, when you see uh, a, a black man being hurt or killed because of the colour of his skin and for no other reason, We feel that sense of outrage. Our human concern for justice is a reflection as created beings of our creator. And Genesis 19 is a lesson in God's concern for justice. And in the midst of it, his desire to save. There is in this chapter, I think, a sobering reality a stark warning, and also a marvellous encouragement. So we're going to think about those three things in turn. They're in your uh, word sheets, um, if that'll help you know where we're up to. But first, a sobering reality, and that is this. Sin is terrible, and so judgment is coming. Sin is terrible, judgment is coming. If you were here last week, and I know lots of 
uh, folk weren't here last week, you're visiting, part maybe because of Josh and Lucy's wedding or another reason, it's great to have you with us. But last week we saw, um, if you cast your eyes back, um, page uh, 18, um, Genesis 18 verse 20, the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I'll know. And then uh, God lets Abraham in on what he's planning to do, which is to destroy the wicked city. Uh, and um, Abraham pleads with God to be fair and to be merciful. And God says, yes, yes, I will be. And when we finally get to chapter 19 after this build-up, we see, we're, we're given a little glimpse of the shape of their wickedness. And we can see why it is that, that it is crying out for God to do something about it, to intervene, to stop, to put an end uh, to this wickedness. So he sends, he sends these angels uh, to investigate, and you can tell something is up straight away, can't you? At the beginning of chapter 19, they arrive in Sodom, verse 1, in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them, bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. Well, I guess that's just hospitality. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. That's actually quite an unusual and striking thing for um, ancient Near Eastern hospitality cultures. He's saying, you know, let's, let's keep this thing moving. Uh, don't hang around in Sodom too long. Uh, the angels press. They, they're sent here to investigate. No, they answered, we'll spend the night in the square. Now, why does Lot do what he does in verse 3? He insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, uh, that's the sign they're in a rush, and they ate. And then I guess we get to why it was Lot was in such a hurry, why he was so worried. Verse 4, Before they'd gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Clearly, this wasn't a surprise to Lot. This wasn't an isolated incident. This was the Sodom hospitality. Notice it wasn't just a few of them. This is men from every part of the city, young men, old men, everyone. And the angels obviously hadn't done anything to provoke this. It was not their fault. They are the definition of innocent victims of this intended crime. And what we're talking about here is sexual abuse. It's a terrible thing. And this is accepted by, perpetrated by, the society at large. Sodom as a whole. Imagine being in that sort of a culture. Imagine living in that sort of a city. How do you think God feels about it? What will God do about it? What should God do about it, do you think? Uh, people sometimes um, say that Genesis 19 uh, must be made up because they think it just isn't realistic. I'm afraid that is desperately naive, isn't it? Read about what has happened in our own country, up in Rotherham, amongst many other places with the grooming gangs and the abuse. 
only 1,400 people in that particular town. Read about um, what's going on at the moment <laughs> in the Middle East, in Ukraine, or in North Korea. What is normal there? Or things that have happened, things that have been covered up. Sarah Everard, or countless other examples. Monstrous as it might be, this is real to our world. People do do what they can get away with. And you can look about what was so bad about Sodom and Gomorrah from different perspectives. Uh, in, in our culture today, the thing that would, I imagine, strike all of us and uh, feel so wrong to all of us is uh, the violence of this uh, abuse. Uh, in, um, in other cultures, it would be other aspects of the, this wickedness, the, the arrogance and selfishness. Ezekiel, uh, chapter 16, verse 49, calls out the people of Sodom for those uh, attitudes. Or in Jude, uh, the attention is brought to the sexual immorality and perversion. Uh, I think one thing that, that our society has lost sight of is that um, sexual abuse and the abuse of sex are not actually totally separate things. Uh, the Bible, surprisingly, I think, to us in our culture, puts sex outside of lifelong marriage between a man and a woman into the same bracket as sexual abuse. That's not because they're the same. It's not because one is as bad as the other. But rather, because when a society starts to approach sex as effectively fulfilling my desires, using someone else to fulfill my desires, to meet my needs, then it will inevitably lead to a culture where lots of people exploit others because of what they want. Do you see? Since our culture has liberated itself from the so-called shackles of the traditional view of uh, sex and relationships, it has led to a far greater prevalence of exploitative, objectifying, degrading sexual practices, sexual crimes. Normalising lust has led to normalising pornography, which has led to normalising aggressive and abusive sexual practices. The heart of all of this uh, wickedness in Sodom according to uh, the Apostle Peter, when he talks about it in 2 Peter chapter 2, is godlessness. The people in Sodom just didn't give a fig about what God thought about what they did. They just did whatever they wanted. They, they could get away with it. So they did what they wanted. And Peter calls that godlessness. We see something of that in, in what happens next. as. Lot pleads with them not to do this wicked thing. Now, Lot's response, his, his um, offer of his daughters is ghastly and evil and an indication of the utter depravity of, of Sodom. But look at how they respond to uh, Lot's rebuke. Uh, verse uh, 9. Get out of our way, they replied. This fellow came here as a foreigner, now he wants to play the judge will treat you worse than them. Uh, now, Lot, uh, for a number of reasons, seems in the text to be a, a member of the town council. 
um, or, or something like that. But very quickly, when he stands against what they want, the town cancels him. They don't want a judge, someone to tell them that what they're doing is wrong. Uh, Peter goes on uh, in his letter to describe Sodom as hating authority. And actually the greatest, what lies behind all the sin of Sodom, is their rejection of their creator, of the one who's in authority over them. They, they don't want a judge. They've got rid of the judge. And now it's absolute anarchy. But God, thank God, demands justice. And he will act. But we've got to ask ourselves, I guess, as we seek to engage with this passage, is our world, is the world we inhabit, more like Abraham's family or more like Sodom? Jesus, uh, when he arrived, when he spoke to people as they rejected his authority, he said... If Sodom had the opportunity you have, they would have repented. It would be more bearable for them than for you when God's final judgment comes. But of course, then and now, many people laugh at the idea that God's judgment is coming. The idea of a judgment day. Jesus returning to bring history to an end. It's the same in Sodom. Verse 12, chapter 19, the two men, uh, these angels sent to Lot, do you have anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city that belongs to you? Get them out of here, because we're going to destroy this place. The outcry of the Lord against his people is so great that he sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who were pledged to marry his daughters. He said, hurry and get out of this place, because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. They laughed at him. Don't be silly, old man. They're children of Sodom. God wants to rescue. He's asking, is there anybody else who'll go with you? Who'll flee the wrath to come? These sons-in-law are children of Sodom. They think he must be joking. Many people today laugh, don't they, at the idea that there's going to be a judgment day. Jesus said in Luke 17, it was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It'll be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. Judgment is coming. If you're not yet trusting in Jesus, personally, publicly, then please listen. Judgment is coming. There is a rescue plan. But it's up to you whether you laugh it off, like Lot's sons-in-law, prospective sons-in-law, and carry on living for the things of this world, or whether you take Jesus up on his offer and follow him out of the city of destruction. For Sodom, these laughing sons-in-law, they'd had their last chance. At the end of that night, God acted to put an end to the evil of Sodom. Verse 24 over the page. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, destroying all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. Sin is terrible. 
terrible. And so God's judgment is coming. It cannot stomach evil. It is good news that the day of justice is coming because sin is desperately wicked and horrible. But of course, that brings with it a stark warning. That's what we'll turn to now. This is point two. A stark warning for all of us. Don't live with sin. The consequences are horrendous. Uh, This is uh, for all of us, whether we are trusting Jesus or not. It's a stark warning uh, for each one of us. Remember what we've been learning about in this series in Genesis, if you've been here, what it means to live by faith. Uh, We're in the gap between God's promises given and God's promises fulfilled. And though judgment is really coming, it's not yet. It's coming soon, but it's not going to come until Jesus comes back. And so here we are, life in the gap, living by faith. And we have a warning in this chapter about how not to live by faith. I guess uh, if Sodom is the opposite of living by faith, this is living as if um, there is no God at all, uh, no judge at all, then Lot is an example of how dangerous it is to have a foot in two worlds to try to straddle our world's view and God's way. You see, Lot uh, had chosen back in chapter 13 to live around the people of Sodom. And clearly, by this time, as we've seen, he knows what Sodom is like. He knows what they did to strangers. And he was immersed in this society. Uh, He got a position of authority at the city gate. He had one foot in Sodom and one foot in the family of faith. It's a bit like having uh, one foot uh, in a boat that's about to leave and one foot in dry land. It's not sustainable. It's going to take you one way or another. Lot was living with sin. He was content to put up with it. He wasn't fleeing from it. And look at how foolish that way of living was for Lot. It meant that when the angel uh, came to, the angels came to, to warn him about destruction, tell him to get out, he hesitated. Did you notice that? Why on earth would he hesitate? The angels had to, to literally grab him by the hand and all his family to pull him out. It was hard to get Lot and his family out of Sodom, but it was even harder to get Sodom out of Lot and his family. When um, uh, the residents were demanding uh, that Lot gives up the visitors, Lot's response was not to trust God to protect him, as um, he promised, to protect the family of Abraham. Uh, It wasn't to offer up himself for the sake of these visitors, but to offer them his daughters. How unimaginably vile and cowardly and godless. A lot uh, refuses then to, to go to the mountains that the angels tell him to go. Did you notice that? He says, oh, just let me go to, to Zoar. It's just a little city. It's just a little Sodom. And 
and um, amazingly, they, they learnt him. Uh, you'll notice, actually, when we carry on, he's in a cave, not in Zoar, so things must go wrong there eventually. And Lot's wife, well, she goes a step further, doesn't she? So when they leave, her heart hasn't left Sodom, so she turns around and says, I want to go back. And so she shares in their destruction. As the fire rains down, she's turned into salt. And though Lot's daughters don't turn back with their mum, they still live Sodom's way, don't they? After they end up in this cave, uh, the two of them and their dad, they think, well, how, how are we going to continue the family line? How are we going to have kids? Their only solution is a Sodom solution. Use another person, use sex, to get what they want. This is interestingly DIY religion-like, a bit like Abraham did, but this is more Sodom-like than even Abraham's weakest moment. And this degrading incestuous plan was just as godless as the citizens that they'd grown up with alongside, who'd presumably been their friends and influencers. And perhaps it just reflected their father's attitude towards them and sex to be used. It's awful, isn't it? Now, astonishingly, when we get to the New Testament, the Apostle Peter tells us that Lot was righteous. Read uh, 2 Peter chapter 2. It's quite surprising to me. He, means he was a real believer. He had a real faith. But he was desperately compromised wasn't he? His life was not built on the promises of God. His life was built on the things of this world. So though he was saved in the end, it was like he was snatched through the flames. Everything that he'd invested himself into was burned up. Everything that was precious to him totally lost. How foolish it was for Lot to try to live with a foot in two worlds. And how common it is for us to try to do that as well. How foolish. I mean, if you're not sure that you're like Lot, just think. How do you feel about the things of this world? What do you invest your money in and your time in? What do you care about? Are you binding yourself up with the things of this world? Listen to what um, the Apostle Paul says in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Do not be kind of bound together like, like um, uh, beasts of burden are bound together in a team. Don't be bound together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? false God. What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Don't try to keep one foot of yours in this world if you want to have Jesus forever. Don't live with sin. Don't put up with it. Don't compromise. Don't let the world be as influential for you and for your family as God is. Uh, 1 John 2 says, don't love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. And we've all got to work out what this looks like 
for ourselves? What does it mean? What would it look like for me to have a foot in two worlds? What would it look like for me to not, to live this life of faith? We've all got to work it out uh, for ourselves. Alison and I um, have uh, tried to work out what it looks like for us. It was actually one of the, the strongest arguments that persuaded uh, the two of us to uh, home educate our children. Not everyone will reach that conclusion uh, in terms of how to avoid compromise. I understand that. But everyone has to fight in some way or another to avoid compromise for us and for our families. For Lot and his family, preference, convenience, culture, and so on, were the temptations that led him to compromise. We've got to work out what it is for us. Who are your best friends? The ones you go to for advice, you trust. The ones that you just soak up their values, their, their way of living, their priorities and attitudes and approaches and so on. If they aren't, Godly Christians living the life of faith, Lot's family danger might be yours. Now, I don't know how you feel as I say all of that. You might be thinking, oh dear, I look at my life and I see so much folly. Sometimes, like for Lot, that will have permanent consequences. Decisions that we've made in the past. But all of us need to hear this final point which is a marvellous encouragement. A marvellous encouragement. Praise God, he saves foolish sinners. Even though Lot made all sorts of bad decisions, he messed up in big ways, and he hesitated to, to even leave the city of destruction, God saved him. Remember when he hesitated? Verse 16, the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. This picture of these two angels, people in either hand, dragging them away from this scene of destruction. What grace! Even though Lot wouldn't have left, God got him out. And that is the Christian vision of salvation. It's God's kindness to us, despite ourselves. Feel like you've just messed up too much. Things are too messy in your life. Your heart is too divided. You've gone the way of Sodom and there's no hope for you. Do you ever feel like you've compromised too much? Listened to God too little, loved Him too little? Well, be encouraged, encouraged by Lot. God dragged him out of Sodom despite Himself. Even a mustard seed of faith will save. Just as much, actually, as a full barrel load will. Lot is called by Peter a righteous man. Why is that? I think we get a hint in this passage uh, in chapter 19, verse 29. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe. God remembered Abraham. It wasn't because of Lot himself. It was because of Abraham that he rescued Lot. Now for us, if we are to be saved, it won't be because of some good thing in us. 
It will only be for Jesus' sake. God remembers Jesus and he considers us righteous. It doesn't depend on how good we are, how well we do. It depends on Jesus and him alone. So be encouraged. If God saves a foolish sinner like Lot for Abraham's sake, how much more can he save you for his son Jesus Christ's sake? Whoever you are, whatever you've done. And before we finish, one final thing to notice about this salvation. Our world is like Sodom, awaiting destruction, and we need saving out of it. But so do our family, our, our friends, our neighbours, the, the people we see on the streets or in the shops, the people at work. Everyone needs Jesus. I remember last week Abraham pleaded with God not to sweep away the righteous with the wicked in Sodom. And God answers his prayer, not in the way that he expects or states his prayer. Actually, better than that, he did save Lot. And I think one implication is please don't give up on praying for those you know to be saved. God wants us to do that, to plead with him. Because actually God's salvation is available to all. Remember what the angels said. At verse 12, the two men said to Lord, do you have anyone else here? Get them out of here. We're going to destroy this place. Now for Lot, his sons-in-law wouldn't listen. But the Bible says that God wants all people to be saved. Jesus invites anyone who will listen to come to him and find rest for their souls. So don't let the prospect of being laughed at like Lot was stop you from telling other people. As hard as you might find rejection, everyone needs Jesus if they're going to be saved from the destruction that's coming. And God wants to save them. So invite them along to Grace Church. Let them hear of Jesus so they might take his hand and be saved. Because the Lord wants to save each one of us and any who will come. Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God of justice, that you will put an end to the wickedness of this world. And we thank you even more that you don't sweep us away in that destruction, even though we are by ourselves wicked. That because of Jesus, you save us, you grasp us by the hand and lead us to safety. Please help us to grab Jesus' hand and get everyone we know to do the same while there's still time. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.